0: You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for being here with us. On this edition of the podcast, RA's partnership with Black Minds Matter continues. Black Minds Matter is a charity on a mission to connect Black individuals and families with free mental health services by professional Black therapists. Black Minds Matter are currently looking for 21,000 long-term donors who are able to donate £5 a month. With your support, they can take real steps towards achieving their goal of creating a lasting impact on black mental health. There are links in the description of this podcast if you're able to help. Throughout 2021, we are celebrating Black-owned creative electronic music projects by hearing their story on the podcast, on the site, and by offering some financial support. You can find the full details of RA's partnership with Black Minds Matter at ra.co forward slash about forward slash community. On this month's episode, Andrew Mensah meets Hannah Shogbala, booking agent and founder of Creative Cultural Consulting Agency, Daju.
1: I believe when we are working with artists in particular, that you must make them feel supported, you must make them feel safe and an inclusive space that's not, you know, intimidating and wrong. Like People have to understand the culture, they have to understand the music and they have to understand the people.
0: Hannah has built an exquisite career as a booking agent, nurturing the profiles of many of your favourite DJs. Having worked for some of the major agencies, Hannah is currently settled at home with United Talent. In 2020, Daju was born to formalise Hannah's work with companies and brands, consulting on event programming and diversifying offices, as well as making films. This interview covers therapy, Hannah's career path, plus the impact of some key mentors that she encountered whilst working at Fabric. I hope that you have a wonderful listen to Hannah Shogbulla on RA's Exchange.
2: Hello, hello, welcome to our exchange in collaboration with Black Minds Matter. Um, you're listening to myself, Andrew Mensah, aka Mr. Holiday, and I'm with Hannah Shogpala, uh who is a superstar... <laughs> Is that, is that too much for superlative? <laughs> she is a, uh, a big-time agent, long-term agent. Let's go with that, let's go with that. Uh, works for Lights of United Talent. Still working there, in fact. Um, Echo Location uh, Agency as well. And has recently started her own creative consultancy called Daju. And, yeah, is making making a name for for black women in the music industry. At least I hope she she agrees with that. (laughs) And uh, I'm so pleased to be talking to her um, as part of this series, where we are talking to black practitioners um, in the, the music industry, black business owners, and in collaboration with Black Minds Matter, where we are essentially trying to reveal, touch on, be more open about the the conversation of mental illness and well-being in the music industry. And, I mean, we'll do this if it, if it makes sense for you, if it feels comfortable. Um, but, yeah, first of all, thank you for joining me. How are you today?
1: I'm good. I mean, it's Friday, so that's often a nicer day of the week, one might say. And I'm feeling... I feel quite relaxed, actually, today, which is nice. I don't feel kind of overwhelmed with the prospect of going to numerous shows at the weekend which is what I'm usually doing this weekend is kind of calmer so I'm feeling good in in one sentence I feel good
2: (laughs) and uh if you could we'll get straight into it basically like could you just tell us a bit about your personal journey into music you've been in the industry for like plus 10 years now um I know some people will know but like just from your point of view, in your own words?
1: So, how did I get into the industry? I think there's two kind of most poignant stories about how I first fell into the love of the prospect of working within music business. And that would probably be when I was about 13. I grew up in like a very, I grew up in London and then I moved out to the countryside when I was around 12. And it was a really secluded place, I think, quite secluded in terms of culture as a black person, um, which had both its pros and cons. And I got the opportunity to go, you know, I need to do work experience in like year 10, I think. And I went, I had to apply to do it. And I managed to go back to London to do it because my dad still lived here. So I went to go and stay with him. And I did it for this music PR company, which was owned by a guy, not owned, but this guy called Charlie Lysett worked there um he now works for outside PR but anyway I went to do this two-week um work experience and something there just blew me away and I was just like oh my gosh this is exactly what I want to do in some way shape or form I knew that I was not a talented musician I wasn't an artist I definitely can't sing I definitely can't mix but I was like what I do love is raving I love music so how can I do this and be behind it so that was kind of like the first memory of like falling in love with what I really wanted to do you know when you're a kid like sometimes you don't have ambition and I was very much in in a place which was quite dark like you know it was I won't go into it too deep but yeah it was it was definitely a positive for me to do that and gave me my love for it and then I think secondly falling into like my actual first job was actually working for this um, record distribution company called That Sound, spelled with a D that worked with a lot of UK based hip hop artists, people like Skinny Man, Klashnikov. um a load of like MCs coming out of Leighton, and my job was to like pack or do all the mail outs, but like the physical ones back then. So you'd literally be in this studio surrounded by boxes, and you'd have to like physically print out you know the the promo release, and then you know get the vinyl, all that sort of stuff. And I was like terrible at it because I'd always get things wrong and send it to the wrong people. Anyway, I started working there with a guy called Matt, and that was my real like first job, I think, like where I was paid like nothing but like i was there and that gave me a real insight into yeah work working <laughs> in music but yeah it was it was jokes like because downstairs was in this tiny little studio in layton and then downstairs was the photography studio for uh, rewind magazine so it was a real nice kind of demographic of people that were there there was a woman called i think it was joe good who worked there he was probably one of the only Female radio pluggers that I knew back then who specialised in UK hip hop. So like there was yeah, it was a real moment.
2: It's uh, I think it's interesting that the way you kind of started talking about this um, or talking about that journey it was like the the fact that it was a it was a love for you and you came to realisation that you weren't necessarily going to be go down the rate of, uh, rate of sorry the route of a creative, um, and like over the years you have worked in quite a few different. Um, different roles like I guess for most people you kind of try something work out if you like it and then kind of move on if that's not right for you Um, and I think it's quite telling because there aren't really any set routes like or like routes of progression necessarily in uh, any music industry and I would I guess like one thing I would be interested in, in asking as well like not that you have much choice but if you have the chance kind of ever go back and redo the the way that you've kind of like made your way up uh, to this point so far
1: i think um i wouldn't so much change the route that i've taken because for me a lot of the roles that i've taken on is because like i hustle quite hard and that's not to sound naff or cheese that's because essentially i had to keep a roof over my head and i had to do that by working i, I didn't have the luxury of a choice of being like oh, I'm going to go off and do this because I really love it. I just knew that I loved music and I loved doing events and I loved like backing people and looking after people. Um, so I wouldn't change anything directly. I think there's a point to make about having gone through quite a few tough experiences in terms of my progression throughout my different careers that I would certainly like to change in a way that... I would have preferred to have been at an older age at that point or had the confidence to kind of bite back and not put up with situations that arose which might have been predominantly quite sexist situations or even racist situations which which do happen they're really subtle you know what we're talking about the microaggressions etc and I think um, yeah I would only kind of look back and think like oh you didn't need to do that or, you didn't need to put up with that um, and then I would probably say that I wouldn't have stayed in like working within nightclub culture for so long like at a young age when I was doing like um, when I was uh, doing like a lot of uh, what do you call it like a uh, artist oh, on and stuff on the evenings i think i did that i did that for a couple of years and that was exhausting like you know in the office five days a week and then in the club you know fridays and saturdays it can you know where it's on you but i wouldn't change it is the answer to that?
2: yeah i think i mean i kind of asked that knowingly that i think <laughs> <laughs> i guess like at the end of the day you can kind of say that like all experiences kind of like help build you to who you are today but i mean i think it's just interesting as well because i think as you kind of illustrated like the raw you do sometimes like make decisions at one point, which you think actually you might have made, been able to make a better one. Um, but that's always like when you have the luxury of hindsight, right. Um, I'd say, I wouldn't say exactly the same for me. I'd say maybe that for me personally, I kind of like came into music only about, uh, seven, seven, eight years ago, something like that. Um, and I think if anything, I probably would have tried to do it a bit sooner. Um, So it's not really decisions once I was in the industry, but I think it was kind of just a life choice that I think would have made more sense if I kind of maybe started it a bit younger. But at the same time, like on the flip side, you could also say like having more experience just in working was probably, probably armed me a little bit better with like, I don't know, like a bit more of a confidence uh, to, I guess like, I guess like be a bit more certain about like what your needs are at that stage in your life. I mean, isn't it, I find it interesting? Well, not interesting, but it's like quite apt that you mentioned, uh, like microaggressions and certain situations that might arrive uh, that arise um, whilst working. And one thing that I really wanted to talk to you about, get into it quite early, but hey, um, we have been lucky enough to have had um, a really great uh, report that has come out recently, um, and that was done commissioned by the Black Lives in Music um, uh, organisation and it was pretty I say eye opening I don't think it's eye opening at all I think it was something the results we all knew but I think it was great to have it in a format which is visible and actually because people obviously like needs to have the numbers to back up like think, back things up even though we all know it's true um but now it's kind of there in the open for everyone to, to to see. Um there were quite a few like results with regards to or relating to like creatives and um professionals. I mean I'll just kind of like go over some of the top line ones. So like three in five black music creators have experienced direct or indirect racism in the music industry and more than seventy-one percent have experienced racial uh microaggressions I guess, like relating to top line of musical professionals, music professionals rather, 88% of all black music professionals agree that there are barriers to progression. 73% of black music professionals have experienced direct or indirect racism, um, and 80% have experienced racial microaggressions. And generally there's like an overwhelming, like dissatisfaction um, with support of black industry professionals in the industry. Um, Before we go into a bit more detail, kind of like, what were your? Did you hear about this report first of all? And like, what were your, uh, your, what were your feelings when it came out? And and, can you reflect on anything personally on on with regards to it?
1: I mean, there's obvious kind of the feelings in response to seeing reports such as this, is an immediate kind of disappointment with where we are still at. Such shocking statistics, and the reality is, is that it's slow to make like stark changes, but we still have such a long way to go. And I think, yeah, the first initial response is just disappointment, like it happens quite often. The one thing with this report, which I did find, um, which was quite refreshing, was that it was actually a report which was um, activated by black people, right? And I found that really good because a lot of the reports that get flung across my desk quite often, are, no names mentioned, but it's often what I find is not actually people who are for the people that are actually doing the research, does that make sense? Um, So yeah disappointing I think is probably, I mean who could sit here and say that like yeah you know this is a positive thing, it's it's still very much a negative thing, it's um, something that has, it needs to be changed and, and drastically. Um, how we do that we can probably get into in a second because I imagine that's going to be your second question. (laughs) Have I read this before?
2: (laughs) Yeah, not in so many words necessarily. But I mean, I guess uh, I I think I completely agree with you actually. Um, It is, there is disappointment there. um, But I think there's also almost like a feeling of like relief as well. I guess that's like kind of why I kind of mentioned the fact that it's like kind of there in like visibly for people to see Um, and it's such a shame that that's what is necessary but I think it's a good sort of like platform to kind of like work off of Um, not that there haven't been many of those before Um, but yeah I guess I'm I'm interested to see how you see the sort of like next steps things in specific like specifically that you kind of like maybe um, experience yourself
1: I think, um, number one, just going back to like the report and its findings, I think one of the most really beneficial things is actually pushing that into the faces of people that we know that we are at this horrible crossroads where we have had a spotlight last two years as people keep saying, and this is a great achievement for people to now recognize the, you know, categorically wrong situations within employment, within black music business, particularly. Um, but definitely about having these reports being constantly put in the front of people's faces that need to see them, that the leaders of these companies that we all work for, to remind them to continually push this that this is not something that can just have its spotlight for a year and go away. This is something that we have to continue to drive. And then I think, secondly, like from the back of that report, like what I would talk about today is. Actually, something which was really remarkable that happened um, recently was I'm now a part of Power Up, which is an initiative, which was started via PRS, which is all about elevating 20 black industry professionals and 20 um, black creatives. And I didn't think that I would be eligible for it at all because obviously I'm an agent and like I have my job role, which is I do with my incredible, wonderful artists. And, And then I was like, somebody hit me up and was like, you should really go for this. And then I went for it. And the result and the outcome of that and now being a part of this community is incredible. So it's like I'm now surrounded by 20 other industry professionals and our our whole thing is, you know, weekly catch ups. We have um, career coaches, we have talks and panels, um, we engage with each other, we elevate each other, we empower each other, we give each other jobs. And it's just like it's something that's so refreshing and something that actually I cannot believe hasn't been done before but the fact that it has makes me believe that in however many months or years down the line that we are part of making a change of what these figures stand for and also just lastly on that because it it wasn't just about elevating musicians that's what was so interesting about it it was about industry professionals it was not just based in London it's a nationwide project it's a yearly project that each year we then add 20 more people to it you can apply for it in order to get a grant or apply to it to become a part of that community and it's just like yeah it's a really incredible um i don't know like what would be the web program mm-hmm. that has been set up and i i think that that's something that's really important to mention You know, big up Yao and and Joe. Oh oh my gosh, do you know what I said to myself before I come? Don't be one of those people. Big up such and such on a bloody interview. And there I go. But Yao and Joe and and Ben have been like at the forefront of this programme. So I definitely feel like it's an excellent thing to talk about. And also for anybody that is actually listening to this, you know, when you are seeking, whether that be... I don't know, like a graphic designer, web designer, an agent, a manager, an artist. You know, when you're looking for people that you want to, you know, reach out to, these are these are the programs that you should be looking at. So I feel like it was important. Did that have relevance to your question? I think it did.
2: Yeah, completely, completely. I think. Um, I mean, it's interesting because it's something that I wanted to kind of come back to you on as well, like with regards to your own career, but. It just made me think, as you were talking about power up, like about generally, like support for Black professionals and Black creatives. Um, that was one of the things that the report, as, as I mentioned, at the top line before that, uh, that was mentioned. That there was an over, overwhelmingly um overwhelming, sorry, dissatisfaction with the amount of support that Black professionals actually um, receive um, working in the industry. I know you have this community now, which sounds like it is probably is fulfilling that that role but what was your personal experience like working your way up um, in your career so far with like support and were there people that you kind of looked to were there people who uh played that role of mentor and and how did that span span or like have that worked like personally for you
1: for me actually um when I think of mentors and I kind of look back I was I wouldn't I hate to use the words like I was extremely lucky or whatever but um I worked at Fabric for a good couple of years, and um, I don't know how I did it, I think, how on earth did I get, I was like an intern, and I was so young, that I was like, I think maybe like 18 or 19, I was super young anyway, and um, I was working in the press department with an incredible woman called Dana Hawley, who was the head of Fabric Press for 10 years, and i was you know doing these like internship things for press like whether it was going to make cups of tea or like i don't know write something for me anyway i got asked to cover a piece about robert hood and i was like i'm not gonna lie i was like who's this guy i don't know and then i was like so i listened to his music i was like oh my gosh this is like this is like a gospel choir in my head like for me this young kid from like countryside who just loves the rave and i was like oh my gosh (laughs) this is it this is it and then i did this um i think i like i wrote a piece and uh I gave it to Dana and she was like blown away. And she then got me this job at Fabric where I then ended up working for the booking team on a Friday and Saturday night, big up Sean Roberts and particularly Judy. So I was surrounded by, from a very young age, in an incredible institution such as Fabric. Being surrounded by people like Judy Griffin and Dana Hawley and Celine Cor was incredible. These were like three experienced knowledgeable um really really wonderful women who were like at the helm in job roles that you would you would often on the outside for these big corporate companies never see that. You know, like Judy has been the lead booker at Fabric for over 20 years. Over, like, She is one of the strongest black women I know, is one of the most caring, her music integrity is second to none. And then you have Dana who, you know, Chi-town girl, um, you know, mixed heritage Japanese, like she is just an absolute powerhouse. Like I can't even, like, I remember being younger and sat in Fabric being like, wow like these women are incredible. So in terms of talking about, even now, like I'm so gassed, I'm smiling so much because I remember being so young and being sat around them being like, oh my gosh, like I want to be like that. Like Judy would like sassy into the office at like 10 p.m. on a Friday (laughs) and then be like talking about all these incredible DJs and then I'd be like sat there silently like, you know, we didn't have bloody, we had Google and stuff but you didn't really have it on your phone back then. So I'd be like writing them down and then like going home and then like trying to find out who these people were. And, Yeah, I just have to really make a point on that. So for me, personally, um, I did have in the early stages of my career, some incredible women, particularly women of different ethnicities around me. But that was rare because then when I left that world, which was this underground, respectable world and moved into more of a corporate world and I moved into agency world, you know, massively not that. Like, there was not, there were strong women around me, yes, but there were women that would pick me apart. There were women that would not advocate me or empower me. They would, you know, plant the seeds of these horrible, like, insecurities or, like, shut you down because they thought that you were, like, going to take over their job or some whatless behavior. Do you know what I mean? So... I think there was but you know, then on the flip side there are other people that have been a continuous part of my career in agency world which have been incredible and I people, you know, people like Sam Kirby, incredible. Belinda Law, incredible. Um, OBS Seeker. But yeah, I feel like it's interesting with that question, thinking back that actually it was in my younger years, in my most formative years, and in much more underground environments that I was most supported in terms of people that I looked up to and genuinely cared about me. I still speak to Dana all the time. Do you know what I mean? I went for dinner with Judy and Celine the other week. That's mad.
2: That's really actually quite uh, amazing and wonderful uh, to hear that. Because I don't think, as you you kind of alluded to it, I don't think it's that common that you get that with anyone in their career. I mean, hopefully it's more common than I think, uh, than, than I'm assuming. But yeah, that is great. I... I wonder like how you feel with that support coming so early on in your career. Um obviously it's quite hard to do, but on reflection, how do you think that would have played out comparatively if you had it like a little bit later? Like how significant do you think it was that it had to actually happen so early on in your career, essentially?
1: I think like definitely by having it so early on, it enabled me to understand the importance of having positive people around you. I think maybe as I grew a bit older and went into different parts of the music industry, more than, it wasn't so much as having a mentor that was maybe like my senior or like working alongside me. It made me understand that I needed to have positive people around me. So with that, I then kind of really always navigated towards, or was was not navigated like, gravitated towards ensuring that i had a really strong network of people and that's that wasn't done like purposely in a blissful way that happened really naturally and again those were more so like my friends who often worked in and out of the industry but definitely supported me in the later years in life but i felt that by having that influence from like the Danners and the judy's and Celine so early on it was like having family that I always then wanted to maintain that environment and no matter what job I went into particularly like some of the bigger corporations that I worked for where I felt completely alienated that I knew that I could go home and call up one of these people and they would be there for me and they would encourage me and they would always have my back and that was something that's really important but it's not to say there was some real like you know you go through like ups and downs in it but um yeah, did that answer your question? People always say that on interviews as well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely did. Um, I guess I kind of want to also kind of like circle slightly back again. Um, Cause you mentioned the fact that you're still like really uh, in contact um, and have close relationships with some of these people. Um, there was like a genuine feeling of like care as well there. Um, I think that's definitely something which I think can be overlooked. I think in industry altogether, particularly now there's we are becoming as a society much more aware of like the importance of like well-being and good practice of like mental health, essentially. Um, so I guess this is like two points, really, because um, you did say that you had people around you who were, or women around you specifically, who were of mixed heritage, um, of different ethnicities. Sorry, and there was also this sort of like nurturing uh atmosphere like in your relationships with them how would you say that this has translated into your work now is it is it something you've kind of carried forward or tried to um first of all with the sort of like nurturing um aspect of your job um and you did also mention the uh the importance of having uh role models around you who who represent yourself um i guess like first of all could you like elaborate on how you feel like the the nurturing aspect has like impacted your your work.
1: Absolutely I think I definitely continue flying that flag of like nurturing. I think that comes naturally to me like I'm a cook, I'm a provider I love like that's just me that's like naturally what I've always been like. And I think one of the things when I became an agent, that I really always promised myself as I started to build my roster was always working with like minded people um, no matter the genre that it was people that I respected as a person I respected their craft but I also felt like I want to always care for them and look after them but they also equally do so for me like they give me energy they give me power and they add it's like a two-way street isn't it so you're not just take 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 from people so I definitely do that like I love I guess what's weird now is that when I'm thinking in my head of all the wonderful clients that I work with, I've now realised how old I am. And that they probably look at me like a mum. Please don't look at me like a mum. But I'm very close, you know, like with, you know, Helena Starr, who I manage, who's just like an incredible, like, being and energy of life. And I definitely feel like I'm trying to, like, nurture the way that I was nurtured. And, you know, equally with Jaguar and Emerald, like, Alex Alexis. Like, there's so many... But I think, yeah, even I'm just literally sat here marinating in my brain on that. (laughs) And I think the answer to your question is I most certainly try to continue nurturing and caring for people in a family way. Because I believe that the roles of people like agents and managers, you are, you know, responsible for a lot of people's livelihoods and, and their lives. And that all kind of molds into one at the end of the day and I think there's something coherently wrong if you're doing that and it's just based on financial benefit to be honest, gosh, that makes me a terrible agent, doesn't it? <laughs> and I've got a proper bad cackle, so it's not going to sound genuine. <laughs> no, but it's true. I just, I find that really, like, I don't understand why people like that. Like, yeah, so definitely nurturing people. Sometimes I probably nurture people a bit too much, to be honest, because then when you do that and somebody like screws you over, then you're a bit pissed, but like, it's what it is, isn't it? Swings
2: and roundabouts. Yeah, I completely agree with you, actually. I think that it's so important. I think that particularly the, the point you made about actually like being having such a big and pivotal role in someone's like career, the decisions you make will affect them directly and probably more so have an effect on them than they will in you, maybe, I'm not sure, but this the the actual impact is significant essentially. So there is a need to to have a bit more have a bit more about your relationship than just it being like a financial thing and, and the communication being all transactional essentially. Um, I say that because I, I as you're talking you kind of remind me of like uh, I used to do a bit of managing myself as well for a couple of years and and you very much like find yourself like feeling like a bit of a, uh, a shoulder sometimes or um, as a sort of like a parental figure um, but it's nice cause I think it, it makes you it makes the the job like feel a bit more human and I think it's necessary like you kind of like needs to be able to be there for someone who if they needed to talk or they need to actually like speak on a level which is isn't necessarily about just about like the business and just about what then what what's next coming in like in terms of work essentially um but yeah i think it's so important and and it's really lovely to hear i guess this kind of leads on um to your work with with daji um first of all could you tell us a little bit about what daji is in your own words
1: Daju is my baby, um, Daju, and this was born like, you know, two years ago, and this came about from years of all the side work that I've done, and maybe I should start off by saying, you know, Daju stands for positive in Yoruba, and for me, with any work that I'm doing, it has to be positive, it can't be, it can't be like negative, or like, you know, like a stressful situation, obviously, there's stressful pressure that we're all going to be under so to speak but what it stands for is positivity and it's about bringing in positive work into people's lives whether that be through you know consultancy or whether that be through artist development and those are the key two things that I do with Daji so yeah it's my baby brand new (laughs) and I love it.
2: How do you feel the response has been so far like from I guess I guess you work with a, a multitude of people from different positions um how how have you found the its progression its development so far
1: um really good actually i feel like the first 6 months i was so quiet about it because i was also quite like with me i always want to deliver before you shout about things i think there's like a real common mistake is for people to kind of go out with things like like just ott about stuff and with me because it means it's so serious to me and the work that i do is so important um that i had i wanted to be able to do things first before i even like put it on social media or even told like people that i work with or colleagues so um yeah i was kind of like downplayed it a lot and then the response when i started to do things was so positive hey get that that it was um it was actually quite like humbling to be really honest like we did um a project for afropunk which was amazing um with an amazing artist called loesh and um, we did like a live recording stream for for him and then i did a project for south by southwest which was the first ever afrobeats showcase that they've done which was all about elevating and empowering artists from you know across ghana nigeria and the uk and then when i started to like i did those projects and then i was like okay I can talk about this. And then I did. And uh, and then I signed my first artist, Helena Starr. And that was amazing. You know, these are all very special projects. They are only taken on on a, on a case-by-case basis. And um, that that's really important to me. Like, I never take on anything that I can't deliver on well. Gosh, I shouldn't say that because then if I do something and it's terrible... <laughs> I just like feel like I've come on here and dug a really big hole (laughs) and I can just get in it. God, the anxiety is rife. But yeah.
2: No, not at all. Not at all. I, I guess it's a certain element of like in that of like holding yourself accountable to what you do. So I think it's totally fine. I think there's no there's nothing wrong with with aiming high and holding high standards for yourself. I think it's the way we achieve things. Right. I mean. And I mean, I get, you were humble. You were humble. And You've done stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't
1: want to come across
2: like really awesome. No, not at all. Not at all. It'd be interesting to to know a bit more because it still feels a little bit of a, a kind of a covert operation. Could you, as best you can, I, I guess, like, elaborate on, I guess, like, what the kind of creative consultancy means um, in terms of what you what do. you. Um, and how it may be different to to projects that you might find elsewhere.
1: So one of the things is that for years, um, yeah for quite a few years, I love doing a lot of non-for-profit work and that might be doing lectures, by doing panels and talks and that's just been something I've actually done for over ten years now, not this whole like spotlight suddenly everybody's doing a panel about diversity and it's like let's actually do shit that's good and actually going to deliver. so one of the things with Daju that I, was really important to me was that I get, often get approached for the previous work that I've done to come in and consult with a lot of larger companies. And I wanted to make sure that that was being done in the right way. Um, so for example, you know, I work with the British Underground, um, Royal Albert Hall with loads of, um, of Roundhouse I just did a great project with. I also do a lot of lectures at places like University of Westminster. A lot of schools I work in, a lot of colleges like Notting Hill and Wolfhamstow And I guess what what means for me with what's so important about it is that it's getting right to the core. My whole thing is about kind of trying to be a bit of a. Advert for enticing people to come into like agency world in particular. So I guess Daji really stands for doing things that like go into the core that help. And you know we do a lot of advice with DNI Consulting, but um you know that is done in a way. That is thought out. It's structured. It's you know about timelining things and putting in targets. How do we get there? It's also about bringing in full sets of teams. So like one of the things that um, I shot recently, which was which was again like a music documentary that I made, and I try my very hardest with anything that I do with Daji when I go to my kind of network of people. I often will always try and build teams that are always people of color, particularly black people. And I was really proud to say that the last project that I did and we shot in these amazing studios that have now actually been bought by Abbey Road and the whole team was all people of colour and it was just like, it was such a wicked day you know, and then I kind of felt like that's not being me up my own arse or anything like that it was just the dream that I'd always had to do things like that, because I believe when we are working with artists in particular that you must make them feel supported, you must make them feel safe and an inclusive space that's not, you know, intimidating and wrong, like people have to understand the culture, they have to understand the music and they have to understand the people and often and way too often I've been in situations whether that be you know at a club setting up for a DJ which has a whole sound team that just do not reflect the people that are playing or whether that be on a music video shoot where you have you know a young black female who's singing and then just looking at a complete you know whitewashed production team that have that don't only not understand the music but don't understand the person and that is so like alienating and lonely and can actually also be quite scary and i've witnessed that firsthand so for me like daji was so important by you know those creative consultancy jobs that i do it is about empowering not just, you know, the company, the people, the artists, but also the whole team that works within that. So that's one of the things that we try and do and that we have to live it on in the past and that we will try to continue to do. Gosh, that felt like a right PR spiel, didn't it?
2: No, I think it's amazing. It's uh, it's something which we, we definitely need more of. And I think it's, as you say, like it's uh, so important that the people that you work with, the people who, the creatives who... Are trying to express themselves and share their music, like feel like they're in a space where they can actually do that, where it's not being, I mean, received in in a way which was which wasn't intended, or just there isn't understanding like with the people that they're working with. And I think that's yeah, I think that's great. Um, I guess what I would like to do as well is that because I think it actually that guess that kind of like leads on to like thinking about how we are making sure. We're caring for ourselves and our own mental well-being, and that definitely ties in. I think as well, like with the with the report, like I, there's so many small things which can like affect someone and and their own mental health, like working in this industry, and that for one is I think it's something which will like help and a creative, a person of colour, creative like actually feel like they're feel more comfortable, feel in their own space. Like, it'd there'll be one less thing that will or one less, like, uh, situational scenario which would, which would affect them mentally. Um, do you personally practice... Um, practice... Well-being. Well-being? <laughs> wow. Um, and if so, uh, what is it you do to help yourself, sort of, like... Or have you done um, over the years to, to help yourself keep going and and deal with, like, the daily stresses?
1: It wasn't until, like, maybe two or three years ago that I really kind of started to look after like the well-being I guess so to speak um because I feel like I guess that comes from like my background my culture particularly is very much like you know there's nothing wrong with you um but I think so one of the things well I do a few things now like obviously I guess I feel like such a like It's really important, but it sounds like so naff to even say it out loud. But I definitely like yoga. I practice meditation. Absolutely key. Um, Pray. (laughs) I think, um, you know, really taking time for yourself, but actually finding out what are the things that benefit you. There's a lot of things like I feel that people might feel like under pressure that there is this big drive of like, You know, be good, look after yourself, go on a detox, cleanse. Like, there's an element that we have to be careful about that, like, not making people feel like, you know, in order to be good, you have to do these things. The point is, is that in order to be your best self and to look after yourself, you have to work out what is going to be beneficial to your mind, what's going to be beneficial to your body. You know, pick and choose your battles. But if you can research and find out what's good for you, like for me, Personally, yeah, yoga was great. I got into that through a friend who suffered like a really traumatic experience in her life, and I went with her for a bit of support actually, and then I loved it. Um, and then therapy is incredible. I think you have to find the right therapist. I think you have to really, you know, everybody knows this spiel. You know, you decide to either, you know delve into your background and look at you know what those childhood things come up in life, or you have to think about the future if it's like CBT. Um, I think it's just really important to research and find what's good. I'm very lucky to have a very close friend in my life who's currently training to be a therapist. She's so holistic, I love it. She's essentially my free therapist, but no, she definitely helps and has guided me to kind of understand the needs that I might have and given me the push to, like, go out there and be like, you know what, therapy is good. You should go. If you can get it and you can find it, you can afford it, do it. Um, But there's also small things that you can do, like, for me, like, therapy's sometimes cooking that's my space away from work away from everything that again sounded really cheesy but best believe that it happens and I do it and it's really nice um but yeah I think it's that yeah I think that's probably it like for me personally yeah meditation yoga therapy sound like I'm from LA man Cheese, Louise what's happened <laughs>
2: All the things you say. I mean, it's it is what it is, and I think I think it's good that you have to. We we talk about these things. I think when you do, I think it's really important. Actually, what you did say about like finding what what is good for you, like personally, like there's not a sort of like fits all. There's nothing that fits all, essentially, and and actually coming to that realization when there is something that actually makes you feel good and when you realise actually this is something which calms me or this is something where I feel like I forget about everything else, whatever they may be, like, I think you have to embrace that and actually make sure you, if you can, build it into some sort of routine for yourself to, like, help yourself, like, I guess, like, come to, like, a more level space in your your head mentally. Um, And I think it's interesting that you were so open talking about... um, actually having therapy because I think actually it's something that people, I mean, it'd be great if like, people were, were a lot more open in, in talking about the fact that they need to do it because I don't think, I definitely had conversations with people because um, I once I actually went to therapy uh, last two years ago um, in fact, no, last year in fact um, and in the run up to actually entering that and, and doing therapy itself. Like I had lots of conversations with people beforehand who I didn't know actually did it. And it was so enlightening because I realized that there are so many people around you who just have no idea who on the outside you feel like it's, it's not something they would ever be doing, but then you realize actually more people than you realize are actually talking to people, talking to like someone who is impartial and that's really important. Um, Obviously, particularly when you have something that is affecting you, like, um, in a more severe way, but actually, it, like, just day-to-day, I think it's actually quite a good thing, like, just have someone who's who you can kind of, like, vent to, um, or you might have something which is a bit sort of, like, uh, like, underlying, which has been kind of there for a long time, but not so seriously affecting you, like, sort of, like, day-to-day, but it really helps if you can talk to someone about it. Um, sorry a bit of a ramble there no i enjoyed
1: it i was like can i just interview you because it sounds way
2: better <laughs> um thank you so much i mean like i i think i'm going to try and write up and you now but i really enjoyed talking to you um it'd be nice i just wish these were a little bit longer but obviously we need to try and uh, keep the time but before we go like it'd be great to hear about anything that you've got um, coming up, if you can um, talk about it for either yourself personally or things that you're doing with, with Daju. Yeah, what's going on? we
1: have we're just currently um literally in the midst of um producing our next program which we are shooting at abbey road studios which is incredible i'm so excited um and that will be coming out next year um so i won't go too much into that but that's incredible and just another fantastic thing we did last weekend um I did a little collab with Helena Starr and Mensa, and we did our first supper club, which was all about celebrating West African culture and food, and it was delightful. I kind of feel like I want to finish on a little tip, actually, that my therapist gave me, because the other day I was so stressed out, and I know that this is, you know, we should be talking about Black Minds Matter and and about how big, you know, an issue, not an issue, how big mental health is and how much we must not be afraid to talk about it, and it's really actually lovely to be able to have this conversation with you. But I was like really stressed out the other day and my therapist always sends me these um, like paperwork to like read over and stuff and I never do it because I find it so <laughs> annoying. Anyway I was really pissed off and I was like reading something and she was like you know what just like if you're really stressed out or in a situation that's completely overbearing just kick back close your eyes for a minute then open it look in the room and just count 10 colours that you can see and close your eyes again. And I tell you what it really sorted me out. Have a go.
2: And on that night. Note- yeah, I definitely will do. Thank you so much. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I, as I said, we, I wish I could talk a bit more just because I think, as you say, these conversations, you could kind of go on forever. But as is the world, um, things need to end. Um, but thank you so much. Um, this has been Hannah Shogbollah and myself, Andrew Mentzer, um, speaking on our exchange um, in collaboration with Black Minds Matter. Have a great rest of your day, whatever it is you're doing, and be back soon.
0: Thank you for listening to RA's Exchange with Hannah Shogbola and Andrew Mensah. Black Minds Matter are currently looking for 21,000 long-term donors who are able to donate £5 a month. With your support, they can take real steps towards achieving their goal of creating a lasting impact on Black mental health. There are links in the description of this podcast if you're able to help. I will be back with a new episode of The Exchange for you next week. Until then, our full archive is available for you to take in. And if you find something you love, please leave us a review in Apple Podcasts as it helps get our stories to more ears.